James 4. We're almost, uh, we're getting to the end of this book, I think. If you're just visiting with us, uh, we've been walking through James for the last few weeks. And uh, it's, it's, it's a book about kind of practical wisdom living for Christians. Uh, and James has some pretty strong words for folks. And this uh, week is no exception. Let me read to you uh, verse 10 of chapter 4, because I want to think of that verse as sort of the heading over the next three paragraphs. I think that's really helpful to understand what's going on in those paragraphs. This will be really helpful if you have your Bible open. So if you don't have a Bible, uh, there should be some in the pews around you. Uh, We're on page 1013, as Olga said. But take a look at chapter 4, verse 10. And we're going to use this as kind of the lens to understand the rest of what James wants to talk about in this passage. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. So have that going in the back of your head. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Because in the rest of this section, each of these next three paragraphs, James wants to address what has been considered uh, by many through the centuries as the bedrock of all sin, which is spiritual pride. Spiritual pride. James is going to talk about spiritual pride. I heard a a wonderful sermon on this passage by David Short, who was uh, one of our pastors when we were in Vancouver. And uh, I agree with uh, one of the things he said, which was this. It's that we don't usually consider ourselves to be prideful people. Uh, It's easy to think that someone else perhaps is proud, uh, but we don't often put that upon ourselves. And the reason for that is because pride, pride hides itself in the heart, doesn't it? Uh, Pride kind of gets behind other things and kind of pushes them forward and kind of tucks itself away. Uh, So it's hard to root out pride, but you can see pride by its effect in our lives. And this is what James has been all about from the get-go. If you think back to some of the stuff James says, right? Uh, Why are you hearers of the word and not doers? Well, it's because of your pride, right? Or he talked about uh, why are you treating some people better than others? At the root of that, probably pride. All sorts of things. Why, do you, why are you creating all sorts of evil with your words, right? We talked about that. Uh, pride. Because you're trying to look after yourself. Why is there quarreling and fighting in the church? Probably has to do with pride. And the remedy for all of that is that verse 10 of chapter 4. Humble yourself. So have that in the back of your mind. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. And folks, we really, I think we desperately need this God. Uh, because behind our own sense of apathy... Uh, sometimes our own, our own poisonous words or our own partiality is this root issue of pride. And pride uh, is, in many ways, not just the root issue in our lives, but it's the root of all sinfulness. Uh, so what, what, is, uh, what are Eve and Adam tempted with by the snake in the garden? Uh, in chapter 3 of Genesis, everything starts out pretty good, right? You get two chapters, things are going along quite well. And uh, the serpent... Uh, tempts, undermines God's word and then tempts Eve by saying, uh, you're not going to die, you're going to know good and evil. This is the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And sometimes we can read that and misunderstand it and think, well if they eat the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil, does that mean then they know good and evil? Like would they have known good and evil beforehand? What that's about is if you eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, it means you want to decide what is good and evil for yourself. You're going to choose what's good and evil. So you're, you're rejecting God's uh, standard of morality and saying, I'll decide what's good and evil for myself. Thank you very much. And the issue becomes then that you start to play God for yourself. And that's the, that's the fundamental sin that Adam and Eve enter into. And it's the sin that all of us uh, 
deal with, that temptation at the tree, the knowledge of good and evil, is the temptation that you and I face every single day. Because it's the temptation to decide, will I follow God's wisdom for my life and, and follow him in what is good and evil and hold myself to that? Or will I decide for myself what's good and evil and live by my own standards? So we face this all the time. And it's an issue of pride. Am I going to, uh, am I going to hold uh, onto the things I, I hold dear to the most? Uh, I don't want to give up my own sense of identity. Uh, thank you very much. I don't want to lay that down. So I'll decide what's good and evil for myself. And we all struggle with this. Uh, but I think the moment, folks, if, if you're a disciple of Jesus, the moment that we start to follow him, uh, we immediately have to start dealing with our own pride, our own sense of uh, deciding things for ourselves. Uh, and, and making idolatry of certain things. C.S. Lewis talks a lot about pride. If you read A Mere Christianity, which is the collection of these kind of radio talks that he gave uh, in Britain uh, following uh, the war uh, about what Christianity was, and he gave a series of talks to people who were interested in this sort of thing, and he has a whole chapter about the greatest sin, uh, which is pride. And he says this, I think this is really good. Lewis says, according to Christian teachers, the essential vice, the utmost evil, is pride. Unchastity, anger, greed, drunkenness, and all of that are mere flea bites by comparison. Mere flea bites. It was through pride that the devil became the devil, and pride leads to every other vice. It is the complete anti-God state of mind. It is pride which has been the chief cause of misery in every nation, in every family, since the world began. It comes directly from hell. It's pretty good, hey? Pretty strong. This is our most difficult battle, folks. So James wants to narrow in on this for us, and he gives us three kind of arenas where pride is at work. First, he talks about our relationships. That's verses 11 and 12. A pride in our relationships. And then he talks about pride and how we go about planning our lives. That's verses 13 to 17. And then he talks about pride in the way we handle our wealth, uh, which is chapter 5, 1 to 5. Uh, so let's look at the first one, pride in our relationships. Take a look at verses 11 and 12 if you have your Bibles open. Right? Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will exalt you. Let that be kind of the heading. Do not speak evil against one another, brothers and sisters. The one who speaks against a brother judges his brother, speaks evil against the law, and judges the law. Speak against. What are we talking about here? Speak against. Is any kind of kind of slander or gossip, whenever you put someone down in order to lift yourself up, whenever you do that, you've, you've judged that person. You've made some sort of judgment call about them, and you've condemned them. And folks, we do this with, with such skill, don't we? We're really good at this. We do this behind people's backs. Uh, we can do this uh, in such a way that it doesn't seem like we're really putting a person down, but really we are. And uh, James says, when you do this, you're actually brushing off God, and you're setting your own standards, and now you're judging that person. Where Jesus would call us to love our neighbor, uh, you're now doing the exact opposite of that. And take a look at verse, uh, at verse 12. What does he say? There's one, only one lawgiver and judge, he who is able to save and destroy, meaning God. God's the one who can properly judge um, because he is perfect and holy. So he can, he can do that work with all goodness and graciousness in life, and you can't. Uh, but then he says this, who are you to judge your neighbor? That's an excellent question. Who are you? Who are you to do that? You're not the lawgiver. 
There's one that stands behind the law, and that's God. So whenever, folks, we gossip or we say something that denigrates another person or we judge one another, we're playing, with, we're playing God as the sense of spiritual pride in our relationships. And the danger is this, is we can think we're being righteous while we're doing it. That's the scary thing about pride, is, is it's so subversive uh, that we don't even realize we're being, we're being proud when we're in the act of, of doing it. It's just kind of underneath us, and, and it takes work to kind of realize that that's the root of what we're living out. What's the way forward? How do you, how do you not do this? Well, think back to verse 410, right? Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he'll exalt you. Now, it's probably a good point here to say what humility is and what humility isn't. Because I think we get caught on this sometimes. We don't quite know what to do with humility. Humility is not just being kind of shy or introverted. Okay? Humility is not, uh, it's not weakness. Humility is living the truth. Humility is, is recognizing and allowing God to be God and living in light of who he is and, and what he does. That's being humble. It's realizing who God is and what he's doing in the world. And that all that I have uh, in my possessions and all that I am as a person is a gift from him. It's, just, it's all gifts. Uh, it's not because I was clever or you know, really good looking or any of that, which you wouldn't assume anyway. But uh, it's not because of any of that. It's because of God. It's all gift. And uh, I don't, I'm not owed anything by God. You know, I, I, don't, I haven't done anything to deserve what he's given me. Uh, but he's given me life. And he's given me work, and he's given me family, he's given me health, uh, and, and more than I could possibly need, right? Uh, and most of us are far richer than we realize. And God's the source of that. So humility is not uh, going around and beating yourself up and saying, well, I'm nobody. And it's also not uh, ignoring well-deserved praise. So if you've done something worthy of praise, you know, like you did a good job and someone says, well done, it is not humble to say, well, actually, no, I was terrible. That's not being humble. That's actually being proud because you're still absorbed with yourself. You're still thinking about yourself. Uh, the humble response is to say, well, thank you. And how are you? You know, the, the humble person is not the person who thinks less of themselves, right? It's the person who thinks of themselves less. The humble person won't realize they're humble. They're just too busy going about life. So that's kind of the test for us uh, to realize when, when James calls us to humility, he isn't calling us to just kind of be passive uh, people who don't kind of stick up for anything, uh, who aren't kind of, you know, passionate about things or just kind of laissez-faire about life. No, no. What he means is these are people who are not absorbed with themselves. So be, be humble and recognize who God is and who you are and live out of that. Uh, there's a uh, an American pastor, uh, preacher in the 1700s, his name was Jonathan Edwards, uh, and he, there was great revivals actually under his preaching and teaching uh, in the States, and uh, he actually, uh, when he read his sermons, he would read his sermons word for word, and he would, he would just hold them up like this, he would just read them like this, and he would just read monotone, Lord I need you, oh I need you, every hour I need you, he would just do that. Incredible, and you know what happened? Incredible revival happened. He didn't, he didn't use any inflection. Uh, he, just, he just read his sermons and went about his business, and, and the Lord did stuff. 
Um, but the reason for that was a prayerful heart of the people and, and lack of pride. Pride just destroys any sense of revival. Um, but he wrote about four things that show spiritual pride. I want to read these to you. I think this is a good litmus test for us. Spiritual pride is when you speak about another person's faults with laughter or contempt. But humility comes in being silent about the person's faults or going to them and speaking in mercy. Number two, spiritually proud people are quick to see faults in others. But humble people esteem others over themselves and aware of the evil in their own hearts. Number three, pride takes note of injury and is easily aggravated. Isn't that true? But humility concerns itself with the injuries of others. Number four, pride thinks everyone wants their help and instructs others like a consultant. Do you know people like this? Or have you done this? I'm really something. I'm going to tell you how this works, right? The humble person carries the air of a disciple and asks, what can I do to better honor God? And I think I'll add a fifth one. If I was going to add a fifth one to Edward's list, I would say pride refuses to forgive, would rather hold on to bitterness, whereas humility goes to the person and seeks to apologize even before the others confess wrong. That's a hard one to live out. Are we proud in our relationships with others, or do we follow Jesus in his humility? So it's that first bit, pride in our relationships. But there's also spiritual pride, says James, in the way we play God with our lives. Look at verses 13 to 17. He's talking about merchants specifically. Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. And yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. That's your life. You're a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. What's this about? Uh, is the Bible against trading or investing or strategic planning or business uh, or wealth? No. <laughs> you just read this verse on its own. It could kind of seem like that. But the Bible's not... The Bible's not against planning. And the Bible's not against being wise with your finances. And the Bible's not against good business. What the Bible has an issue with is when you become arrogant and self-confident and you start boasting about it and you start playing God with your life. That's what the Bible has an issue with. So it's not that the planning's wrong. What's, what James is pointing to here is the pride underneath these people's boasting, right? Don't boast about tomorrow for you don't know what today may bring. And we all, I think we can all do this. We can live as though um, we're the masters of our own lives, don't we? And so we can, we can start to decide, well, this is what I'm, we, in big decisions and in small decisions. So we can say things like, um, well, God, you know, I've got my eternity kind of figured out with you. Uh, but everything in the meantime, I'm, I'm in the driver's seat. Uh, so what I do for work and who I marry and how I raise my kids and the way I have friends in my life or don't, uh, and the kind of decisions I make with my business, uh, or the way I go about school or what I take for school, I'm not really going to involve you, God, in any of that. Uh, it doesn't really matter. I'm, I'm going to do whatever I want. Uh, and we can do this to greater or lesser degrees, I think. I mean, some of us, uh, there's a desire to just kind of give everything to God, you know? Um, but there's a temptation, a quick temptation, to just go about life and not really not really ask for God's input, so to speak. Just kind of busily go about life. And the issue here, I think, uh, is that we start to treat our life 
without a sense of our own mortality. And that's what James talks about, right? Your life is like a mist. You don't know how long you're going to live. None of us know. Like, none of us have an idea, right? I mean, I could die tomorrow. I wouldn't want to. But uh, none of us have any idea about the length of our lives. We really don't. And so the moment we start boasting about our life or making kind of grand assumptions about what we're going to do with our lives and, and how we're going to live, uh, we can start to forget that we really don't know what's coming. We really don't. And it reveals a source of pride. James says, think about your own mortality. Your life is fleeting. Your life is fleeting. So you need to say, well, if God wills that I would do this, and if God wills that uh, I come to tomorrow, then I'll do this. It's not as if the planning's bad, but the people here, the merchants here, are forgetting to include God in their planning. So James says that the humble person will bring God back into the picture, humble himself before the Lord and say, Lord, I don't, I don't know what's happening in life. I'm going to be as wise as I can with my finances and my possessions. I'm going to love my family as best as I can. I'm going to look after things as best as I can. But Lord, ultimately it's in your hand. And you know what, folks? That can sometimes feel like a, like a scary thing, that we don't know what's coming, right? I can feel a little bit difficult. But the, but the truth is, you are in the hands of God. And there's great assurance in that. There's no one you would better be in with. You know, there's nowhere you should be more secure than in God's hands. So yes, your life might be fleeting, but guess what? God knows, and he's in control. And if you're following him, and you love him, and you're living life for him, then it'll be okay. It'll really be okay. So you can rest in him. There's a wonderful security in him. And finally, uh, so he talks about wealth. So he talks about pride in our relationships, he talks about pride in the way we plan our lives, whether we include God or not. Some of us have big decisions to make, uh, and we can go about trying to, you know, write down the pros and cons and ask people and really beat ourselves up about it, but if we just come to the Lord in prayer, it doesn't mean you'll get the answer immediately, but as we submit to him, that way often becomes very clear. And uh, so God says, let me in, let me into those big decisions in your life, let me into the small decisions in your life. But don't go about life uh, with this proud attitude saying, I'm just going to do whatever I want. Uh, Because guess what happens when you make your life about uh, the excess or the success or the experiences or the riches that you could accumulate? Look at what happens at the end of this part, right? Come now, you rich. This is chapter 5, verse 1. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. It's intense, James. It's a little much. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Look at chapter, uh, verse 4. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord. Folks, wealth has a way of cooperating with our spiritual pride like nothing else does. And it's so true what Paul says in 1 Timothy, right? The love of money is the root of all evil. You know the best way to ignore this passage is? Is to just say, well, I'm not rich. Like, I'm not wealthy. This is about somebody else. <laughs> right? This isn't about me. This is about somebody else. That's a really good way to ignore that. Uh, but the truth is, um, most of us here in the West, North America, are richer than most of the world. Most of us are richer than we realize. We may not have a lot, but a lot of us have more than enough. 
A lot of us have more than enough. A lot of us have excess income uh, or, or room to you know, buy whatever we want. A lot of us do. There's something spiritually risky about wealth. Now, the Bible's not anti-wealth, okay? The Bible's not anti-money. It's not anti-wealthy. Um, Abraham's incredibly wealthy. Incredibly wealthy. David, incredibly wealthy, right? Uh, there's people that are very rich, and the Bible's not against them. Job, for instance, incredibly rich. The Bible's not against the riches. The Bible's against the attitude that can happen when we, when we turn to rely on our wealth uh, and forget God. And so we, we let it foster a spiritual pride. And that's the danger. So James says, look, there's an issue with your wealth when you begin to hoard it. Right? Look at, look at verse 2. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Have you ever watched hoarders? It's disturbing, right? If you don't know it, I'm not going to explain it to you because we have lunch in like half an hour, I'm sure, some of you. But it's gross. Um, and some of us kind of do this as well uh, on smaller scales. You know, we might have lots of stuff in the ground or something, or there's a root with lots of stuff. Uh, but the idea here is so much of us, so many of us, can just like pack stuff away, like papers and stuff. I've got lots of papers I need to go through, my wife can tell you. Or stuff from when you're a kid, and you just keep kind of putting it away, and suddenly you realize if you have all this stuff and you're never going to look at it. You know what the good test is? If you haven't looked at it in the last, I think they say three months, but that seems a little steep, so maybe go six months or a year, you're never going to need it. If you haven't worn it in a year, you can get rid of it. I just freed your closets. If you haven't worn it, get rid of it. You don't need it. Just toss that thing. Doesn't matter. Give it to somebody else. My wife's incredibly good at this. She'll say, it's time to go to the closet again. And we purge. And I, like, I'll have just purged. And suddenly there's another garbage bag full of clothes. We're taking it to that red diabetes, kind of diabetes box by the bowling alley. You know that one? We're taking our garbage bag there. Where did this come from? I just went through my stuff. There's so much I don't need. We've got to this point where we only take up one closet. We have kind of two closets that would make the size of like a big one. All our stuff fits in one. Oh goodness. There's all this stuff I never wore. So much so that we put our playpen in the other side of the closet for Noah. There was enough room. Well, I guess we'll put this here. We didn't need the room. James says, look, all the stuff you've, you've hoarded, the stuff that you've kept thinking, I'm going to keep this for a rainy day or... I just want to hang on to this because there's a sense of security in it. James says, look at when you die, that's not coming with you, and that stuff's just going to rot. So don't put your security in that. Don't do it. Your riches will rot. When you die, it's not coming with you. Again, the Bible's not against financial planning, not at all, but the Bible condemns the hoarding of wealth and not using it for God. And that's the thing, folks, is so many of us have been so richly blessed, and we've been called to make disciples of all nations, Right? Go into the world and make disciples. And many of us have, have the finances to give towards that. To give towards that work. To give towards what God would have us give it towards. And we don't. We don't use it. So I would say, if you, you, know, if you have more money than you probably need, like if you have a double income probably, I don't, I don't know. I don't, I don't know where the line is. But my guess is uh, a lot of us have more income than we, than we really need to live on. If you do, are you asking God, Lord, is there a place, is there something you want me to give money to? Is there, like, is there something I should be supporting? Is there some work that I should be contributing to? Um, and if you are poorer, you don't have a lot of excess wealth, 
Um, you should pray for your brothers and sisters in Christ who, who have some excess wealth because they face a very serious temptation when it comes to wealth and pride and money. So instead of looking down as a poor person, maybe looking down on the richer person, instead say, Lord, uh, you've gifted them with this money. Uh, I'm glad I don't have to deal with that, perhaps. Uh, but Lord, there's a temptation there that is very serious, very dire, says James. And so, so Jesus, I pray that you would give them wisdom as they use their money. Not that I'm going to judge them for how they do it, but Lord, you help them with that. That's hard. That's a difficult thing. Whenever we have... Whenever money shows up in our lives, uh, it can twist our hearts just so easily. Uh, and when we love it, it becomes the root of evil, right? So are we praying, uh, Jesus, how would you ask me to use my wealth? So that's the first part, is, is when we begin to hoard it. That's the first time I think pride uh, can, can show up in our lives. But the second is in the way we get our wealth. Did you notice this part uh, with the, the wealthy landowners and the, and the people working in the field? Did you notice this? Verse 4, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields. So you've had people working under you, James says. You kept their money back by fraud, so you didn't pay them properly. So you've got unethical work practice, right? We would say in our kind of terms today. Now they're crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. That Lord of hosts term, that's usually the term of like, God is coming with an army. And he's going to deal with the stuff. Like, here he comes as a judge. There is an issue, folks. There's a pride when it comes to our wealth when we acquire money through dishonest means or we make money or profit by investing in practices which support the unethical treatment of workers. That's what this is about. That's not something we often think about. Like, do you know where your clothes came from? Do you know who made them? You know, I, I don't. Do you know where things you purchase or consume? Was there someone further up down that, down that line who made that, who's being given a terrible wage, uh, who's suffering because we continue to buy those products? And, in, and in, by whom we, we contribute to poverty, but also gain more and more wealth because of our contribution to that system. That's scary, eh? Ooh, don't talk about that very often in church. <laughs> but there it is. If I'm making money at the expense of another, that is pride, that's danger. Okay? So there's issues if I'm hoarding it, hoarding it away. There's issues if I'm doing it at the expense of someone else. And there's issues in my indulgence. Uh, when I've lived the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence, right? Look at that in verse 5. Uh, if you listen to a pop song on the radio, it wouldn't take very long before you found a song talking about making money uh, or living some sort of extravagant life. I, I, I promise. If you put on the radio for about an hour, you'll probably find some song that's talking about that. The issue here is that when we, when we live for luxury... When we, when we focus just on the money we make at the expense of another, uh, when we live uh, with, without a regard to where we should give our excess money, or we just live for the sake of gaining wealth, there's some serious issues with our own heart. 
James says you need to look at the pride that would prompt you to live in that way. It's possible to say that we're following Jesus, but with our money, actually oppose Jesus. So some serious uh, thoughts here from James. But what do you do with your cash? What do you do? How are you living it for the Lord? How do you live that for the Lord? What's the way forward? What's the way forward from pride in our relationships, speaking evil? What's the way forward from pride in the way we live, making plans without consulting God? What's the way forward um, from pride in our wealth, uh, from excess living, from life of luxury? What's the way forward? Humble yourself. Chapter 4, verse 10. Humble yourself. So friends, my prayer for us, as it's Thanksgiving Sunday, we talked about all that, is that we would be people who would say, Lord, would you expose, would you reveal the pride of my own heart? Uh, that pride that's subversive, that pride that makes me want to put myself up above someone else, or that pride that makes me want to just go about living my life however I want, and not actually submit to what the Lord would have for me. But that pride that says, you know what, actually, I really want the best stuff. Like, I really do. Uh, I really want the fancy toys. It's an issue there in my heart. My prayer would be that over the course of this weekend, the Lord would prompt you on those things, uh, but that he'd also cultivate in you a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving. See, friends, as Christians, we have this tremendous opportunity to live live out the life of Christ in each of these arenas. Instead of speaking evil, we can speak life and love uh, and virtue and hope and peace. And we can be quick to apologize when we've done something wrong, you know? Uh, we, can, we can live that out, and the world notices. Or we can say, look, I could make all kinds of crazy plans with my life, but really, uh, there's certain things that are so important that I'm not willing to give those up. My life's fleeting. I, I don't know how long I'm going to live. Uh, so instead of investing in making the most money with my life, I'm going to invest in my family. That's a very countercultural. Or it might be a matter of saying, look, uh, I know I could probably get ahead if I invested in this thing, or I could... Uh, I could do really well for myself if I, if I engaged in these practices over here. But actually, I'm hurting people when I do this. So instead of making money the bottom line of my life, I'm going to make it about loving God and loving my neighbor. That's going to be the bottom line of my life. And when you do those things, when you live out the life of Christ in each of those arenas, in your relationships, and in your, your future planning in your life, and in your finances, that is a tremendous testament to God that the world will notice. And people will say... Why do you live like this? Why, why do you choose to do this? Why did you make, make the more money? You know? Or why do you give so much away? And you have an opportunity to share that all of your life, all that you've been given is all gift. And so my prayer is that we would, we, the Lord would expose that pride in us, but he'd also cultivate a, a gratitude and a thankfulness within us.